Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Both at Pop Studios yeah, Here today. we are, face-to-face, my brother. What does this happen, uh, once every two years? Uh, something. I think we almost do it every year now. There's always an excuse for me to be on the East Coast. Yeah, that's right. Well, why are you here this time? I'm working on a couple of things I can't really talk about right now, and uh, I had to be in Boston for a few days. Okay. And so, uh, if I'm going to be in Boston, i got to come down to New London. It's kind of a rule. So needless to say, you were in Boston for something other than .NET Rocks, yes, and uh, you decided to come down and visit, and we hung out with uh, the Miller Mangicottis last night. We did. It was almost like a Monday's episode, just sitting around the table. I believe there were pictures taken. Uh, well, that's cool. I, I, uh, on my way out the door this morning, because I spent the night there, Karen's like, I, I, I hope the mess isn't there. It's just, I stay here for the chaos, yeah. Karen. Like, <laughs> if I didn't want chaos, I'd stay in a Holiday Inn. That's I'm a, here for the chaos. It's a feature. It is a, a feature. Fun. It is a ton of fun. And the uh, little Campbell Franklin is uh, six years old and cute as a button. That's so cool. He's uh, he's growing up. He's growing up. All right. Well, let's roll the music because I have a call in for Better Know Framework. Awesome. All right, dude, what do you got? This one was called in by one Paul Seal who wrote this very cool, um, concise, which is what I like about it, blog post. What is .NET Core? Seven things you should know. Hey, look, there's even seven things in it. Yeah. (laughs) And so the first one, what is .NET Core? It is a new platform from Microsoft made up of a new runtime and a set of libraries. The main reason for it existing is to make .NET run cross-platform, which means it will run on Windows, Linux, and Mac OS. Right. What language do you write .NET Core applications in? Funny you should ask. Uh, .NET Core applications are written in C-Sharp, F-Sharp, and VBNet. This means you can write C-Sharp code on Linux and Mac now, and this is why applications like Visual Studio Code and Visual Studio for Mac have been made. Number three, what type of applications would you use .NET Core for? You can write console apps, web APIs, and ASP.NET websites right now with .NET Core. It's not fully written yet, so the tooling is limited at the moment. And you see what's really missing from that list, which is anything on the real client side. That's right. Do a a normal client app. Number four, do I need to learn .NET Core? You only need to learn .NET Core if you want to write .NET applications, which need to run cross-platform. If you're just building applications which are going to be hosted on Azure or on a Windows server somewhere, you can continue to write them in the full .NET framework. I would add mm-hmm. the performance of .NET Core, especially running on Linux on a on a web application, is pretty, higher. Pretty pretty serious. Pretty it serious. Takes some tweaking to get it up there, though. But right. it can be done. And I think that's the right now today when I'm meeting folks that are actually doing stuff in Core. That's mm-hmm. what they're doing. Yeah, is websites on Linux for performance reasons. All right, uh, number five. Will it replace the full .NET framework? No. It's not going to replace the full .NET framework. The full framework continues to exist and be improved alongside .NET Core. We've Very done, good point. And we've done shows on that, right? Jeff yes, Fritz is talking about the ASP.NET web forms. Yeah. Number six, is it compatible with the full .NET framework? Yes. .NET Core is compatible with certain versions of the full framework as well as Xamarin's Mono framework. It can be confusing to understand which version of one is compatible with other versions. To help with this, they have created the... .NET standard. Dun, dun, dun. We've done a show on this. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> but this is great. It's concise. Yes. Number seven, what is .NET standard? <laughs> Funny you should ask. <laughs> .NET standard was created to help you know what version of the .NET framework you need to target if you want your code to be compatible with other types of .NET framework. Currently, there are three types. The full .NET framework, Mono, which is used for Xamarin, and .NET Core. It's hard to know which version of which framework is compatible with others. .NET Standard isn't anything physical, and it's not even code itself. It's just a set of features, very important, a set of features, which a version of a .NET framework needs to have to be compatible with others targeting it. That means if you're trying to talk to code from a different version of the .NET framework, it'll have the necessary features to be compatible if it targets the same version of the .NET standard. You know, there are more versions of the .NET framework than that, right? Like, that that's the crazy part. Yeah, that's right. I'm glad they're finally doing the standard thing, irrespective of core, just because there's been many versions of the framework running around out there. You know, yeah, that's right. Some of the micro and embedded editions. Like, and we have the whole history documented right here on .NET Rocks, especially the whole 4 to 4.5 oh, thing. Man. With its updated in place and you don't know what version it is. Yeah, and it almost doesn't matter except when it does. Except when it does, <laughs> yeah. 
So that's what I got, Richard. And uh, thanks to Paul for sending that in. Yep. And uh, you know what, Paul? I'm going to send you a mug just because that's awesome stuff. A big pile of awesome. And we uh, included the link on the show notes. So yep. You don't have to memorize it. You can just uh, come here. Awesome. So who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1411. That's the one we did with Gil Clearin when we talked about Xamarin MVVM apps. That was at NDC London. Yep. And uh, got a bunch of good comments on the show. But this one uh, from Timothy Lewis really hit me. He says, I believe you mentioned the fact that it's surprising there aren't more web deployed apps in this show. Oh. And that was our whole conversation about, you know, going into the app store versus doing progressive web apps, like that kind of thing. Tim goes on to say, uh, the great issue with apps that aren't deployed from the app store is that they almost always ignore taxation in places like the EU, Mm. you know, with VAT and things like that, and South Africa, which means that for developers in large parts of the world, just putting your app on the website isn't as straightforward as it should be. Right. You know, the point being, if you're going to put on a website, you don't want to get in trouble with the tax man, you have to follow these rules. And it's one of the things the app store just does for you, for better or worse. Since the EU rules were introduced in December of 2015, I wouldn't dream of trying to sell an app anywhere but on the App Store. Okay. And, you know, that's true. And, you know, I really don't like App Stores, but this one punches me right in the, in the gut because yeah. you're like, you know what, Timothy? You're right. That right. is a non-trivial problem. If you are going to sell an app, mm. you want help with the retail rules. Yeah. You want to may have have a professional like Apple or Google or Microsoft doing those taxation things for you. I mean, they're just going to collect the money from the cu- customer. But the re- I mean, and the law is if you don't collect the money, you still owe it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah good point, that's, man. That's true. Yeah. So Timothy, thank you uh, so much for your comment. A .dot net rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .dot net rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .dot net rocks dot com or via any of our social media. Because we publish every show to Facebook and Google Plus. And if you comment there, we read it on the show. We'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We convert them to .NET Core. (laughs) And run them on our Macs. Nice. (laughs) That's an Ubuntu laptop there, sir. Do not disparage my machine. He said Uh, running a Surface Book with Win Win 10. Mac, Ubuntu, Uh, same difference. Same thing. Let's see how many people make them all angry at once, right? (laughs) Nice. Well done. All right, let's bring on our guest, Joe Audette. He's a Microsoft MVP, started working out with Access 2.0 in ah. 95 and VB6 back in 1996. He's been doing web development since the beginning with classic ASP and then ASP.NET when it first came out. Over the years, he's done quite a bit of work in content management and e-commerce. Speaking of tax laws... Mm-hmm. He wrote the blog module for a thing called Rainbow Portal back in 2003 and founded the Mojo Portal project in 2004. He actively developed Mojo Portal and commercial add-on features until late 2014. He began working on a new set of web components in late 2014 with MVC5 and moved to ASP.NET Core in June of 2015, uh, beta 4 or 5. That's back in the pain times. Yeah. He said beta four or five. He's <laughs> like, not sure which. Pain times. Which is it again? Now he has a number of related open source projects and components branded as CloudScribe. The main projects are CloudScribe.core, which is a multi-tenant web application foundation for managing sites, users, and roles, and CloudScribe.simplecontent, which is a blog and content database. He is currently trying to bootstrap his own business again, building commercial components that can integrate with ASP.NET Core apps, including but not limited to any open source apps. You can read his blog at joeaudette.com. That's J-O-E-A-U-D-E-T-T-E.com, powered by CloudScribe, by the way. And follow him on Twitter at joeaudette. Welcome, Joe. Hey, thanks for having me on here. This is great. We had you on once before, but not as a as a guest proper, right? That's right. It was many years ago when your your tour came through Nashville, I, I got to chat with you guys on your uh, RV and have a beer with you. <laughs> that was like 2005. It was. That was still yeah, my was, first 50 shows. That was the first road trip we did, wasn't yeah. it? Or was yeah, it the second? It, no, it was the no, first it was the one. First. It was the first one. It was totally your idea. Yeah. In the middle, and I figured it was your trap so that I couldn't get out of this thing after 50 shows because we were on the middle of the road trip <laughs> with the, the show hit. I'm like, I can't go home. I'm stuck. I got to keep doing this. And now, 1,300 shows later, I'm still here. I'm glad you stayed. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everybody else. I really like those vignette shows. 
Right, collecting stories, uh, Joe. Your stories, like they remember the the giant pumpkins guys, oh, big and, pump, giant pumpkin, yeah. 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 They, but uh, I don't know that the listeners liked it near as much as we liked. You're it. probably right, but uh, we've moved on, and we, you know, we learned that uh, we can bring uh, real guests to those events now and yeah. do a show that way, and that's what what it has been. I wonder if we'll do that again. That was a lot of fun. It was. I think back then when I spoke with you guys, I was really into mono or, or you pronounce it mono, I guess. I don't yeah. know now. Yeah. But uh, that was back when I was working on Mojo Portal. And yeah. uh, I may have mentioned it too, because that was a cross platform was a goal for me way back then, trying to get Mojo Portal running on mono to be a thing. And uh, yeah. so now here we are today, and, and we've really got cross platform with the .NET Core. And that's really exciting to me and i get the feeling we're just getting started you know this is this was such a new thing for microsoft to take on mono and take on xamarin and sort of merge their worlds and all of that stuff it just it's only going to get better i gotta believe i I think so i think they've really done a great job with dotnet core you know a lot of changes that are some of been painful tooling changes and things along the way but Mm. they've had good reasons for everything they've done and and it's really coming out it's it's a great framework to work with now, and I think what next month they're supposed to ship VS twenty seventeen, and we'll finally get the official new tooling and whatnot. Yeah, so. this show will probably come out after that tooling shipped. But yeah. I, I'm also thinking in terms of we've just been doing like the fifteenth anniversary celebrations for yeah. .NET, and here we are talking about all these new things in yeah. .NET. Like, yeah. It, yeah. It, it hasn't gone crafty. Which is interesting. Like, how do you fight against that so successfully? Oh, rewrite the whole stack. Okay. <laughs> the newest thing in .NET, I think, is just that the whole term itself, .NET, has changed. It mm-hmm. used to be a, a sort of a, a red flag for something on the Windows platform. Right. One And many languages, one platform? And now it's a few languages, but many platforms. Yeah. It's going places we never thought it would go. What are some of the things that you like best about uh, .NET Core? Well, you know, I, I was stuck in the web forms world for so long. I I, uh, I was qu- kind of late to MVC when they, MVC first started coming out and, and architectural improvements that have been made. I just find that it's a lot easier to do like the gang of four patterns that you read about now. You right. Know? With with web forms, everything was kind of componentized and encapsulated. It was not easy to do dependency injection and right. things like that. Um, you know, MVC was, but I again, I was sort of stuck in, in a, a already built this big app in, in web forms, and I was uh, just too busy with that to get involved with MVC. Uh, and, I, and it kept evolving. You know, different versions of MVC came out, and... Uh, and, I guess, and, and involving you know, fast, too. I mean, it, I think it was yeah, very challenging yeah. when they were switching it so quickly. Hmm. Which I guess was a good thing in some ways, but then you got to keep upgrading as you go. Yeah. But when they started announcing, you know, that it was going to be officially supported cross-platform, that's when I, I was like, I, I really need to start from scratch and, and write things a new way. And uh, what I really like, dependency injection is awesome. I mean, program against the interface and inject that implementation and if you yeah. need to change it you just plug in a different one and you can even like copy and modify and plug in and try something and then oh if that didn't work out you could put the old one back in you know right. so it gives you like like a safety net uh for for trying things out too and it it lends itself to writing code that's more testable and writing code that's uh you know, single responsibility type of stuff. Agreed. And, uh, you know, I just like the way it's, you could do it with MVC5, but I like the way it's just built right into the startup system and you yeah. just wire everything up in a console app. And uh, I just like that model a lot. It's uh, kind of with, with Mojo Portal, it was kind of shipped as a big app. It had a plug-in system, so you could write features that plugged into it, but you didn't, you know, if you wanted to change something in the global ASAX, you know, <laughs> there wasn't a way for you to do that unless you got the source code or unless we built something in to allow you to plug it in. Right. Whereas with CloudScribe, I'm just focusing on publishing nuggets, nuggets, and uh, and giving examples of how to wire it up. And then you own the app. And if you need to wire other stuff in there totally unrelated, that's your business, you know, and you can do that. With nice. No problem. I love what they've done with Katana and the way you can self-host ASP.NET. 
even in a console app, even in a WPF app, if you want running on some box somewhere, you know, and, and this has actually saved my butt in situations where, um, you know, a, a, a group wants a local web server. They want, in other words, they want an app that only exists within their NAT, you know, firewall uh, area. And it doesn't exist outside, but they want to be able to pull up their phones and interact with it, and they want to use the web. And, um, you know, you can just put a machine up there, and you can even use regular old DNS uh, resolution to to resolve to IP addresses that aren't routable. You know, it's it's pretty amazing and pretty easy yeah. to do. Well, and that, that all, what other also goes along with that is uh, you can include the runtime and you can put it all on like a, a USB stick or even a DVD ROM or something, and yeah. you can like run it right off of that thing. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Uh, so, like w- one of my projects, NoDB, which is a no database file system storage, I'm using it pretty much for everything when I'm prototyping stage, but I'm also building it to work like CloudScribe core can work with NoDB, simple content can work with it. But um, even if you're if you're running a big production site, you probably wouldn't use that if you have lots of data but i'm looking at it also as sort of a backup tool where i can just write something to export the data into that format and then i could archive sites onto dvd rom like a point in time copy with the data and run it right off of there you know uh so cool what is this dvd you speak you know what's cool (laughs) is just hearing these creative solutions you're like emerald lagasse in the kitchen and then we can add a little more garlic (laughs) bam you know (laughs) throwing a dvd ron would just pull all these resources together because it's just so easy now with with such cheap materials yeah blows my mind old ways you'd back up your database sure. and back up your oh, yeah. your web files and you know you have them on a disk but you couldn't really use them or see what your site looked like back at that point in time without going ahead and installing it again in IS or something mm. and restoring the backup to me it just it seems like a great way to make actually useful backups so mm. yeah stuff you can actually trust and you can put it into a Mac or a Linux or a Windows cuz you can include all three runtimes in sure. there yeah that stuff just sort of just sort of works This episode of .NET Rocks is made possible in part by Windows on the Google Cloud Platform. You may not know this, but the Google Cloud Platform supports Windows Server 2008, 2012, and 2016. It also supports SQL Server versions 2012, 2014, and 2016 standard web and enterprise editions with high availability. You can deploy your ASP.NET Windows apps to Compute Engine or your ASP.NET Core apps to App Engine or Container Engine. That's Google's hosted Kubernetes environment. .NET and .NET Core libraries are there for all 200-plus Google.com and cloud services in NuGet, led by John Skeet of Stack Overflow fame. But what about Visual Studio integration? Oh, it's there. You can use Visual Studio to manage your GCP resources and deploy your existing apps. You get stack driver logging, error reporting, and tracing support for .NET and .NET Core. PowerShell commandlets for GCP, which run on Windows and Linux. And a great set of partners to bring your Windows and .NET workloads to GCP, including Capgemini, Nudesic, and Magenic. So go to gcp.netrocks.com and get your free trial today. I'm poking around your GitHub there, Joe. So clearly you have a tendency to just simply make projects. <laughs> you hear, oh, I need, I need a data store. I think I'll make a little database. Like, Sure you do. So it's it's impressive, right? You've, it's not a database. Well, no DB. A lot of it, not when, a I, when I first, you know, I couldn't, you know, when I put in my quote about beta four, beta five, I couldn't remember exactly which one, but it was pretty early on when yeah. I started working in, in .NET Core. And there were a lot of bits and pieces that just weren't available. True. And yeah. so, uh, like, uh things for like rss feed you know i was looking around there's no system.component.model.syndication stuff and there was no you know even that old cook computing and xml rpc library i think it was hosted on google code and it just went down and oh, <laughs> yeah. man, that, down. that brings back some <laughs> I couldn't memories find, i couldn't actually find the actual source code because i was going to see if i could port that uh but so i just you know i had to write my own and, sure. and now with uh you know, they're coming out with what the net standard 2.0, they're adding more and more of these APIs back. So some of, some of the things I've built won't necessarily be needed in the future, but, uh, some of them I just had, I had to build. Um, you know, I, in the MVC five period when I was 
building prototypes, I was using a thing called MVC Sitemap Provider. Right. And then when I started working with Core, there was nothing like that. So I had to build my own, you know, and I called it CloudScribe.Navigation. And just, uh, and it's similar in a lot of ways to, to that, but with a lot less features than what that had and yeah. a lot of stuff that just wasn't needed that that, that had. But, uh, and, you know, pagination, I, I built a little pager tag helper and just, Everything I've built, I've tried to build it so that it's not, you know, as loosely coupled as possible. As many, my goal is for as many of these components to be possible to use them without other dependencies. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, some things do depend on other things. But certain certain components it just seems natural that some anyone should be able to use that. Mm. So the navigation ones like that, the pa- pagination ones like that, mm-hmm. the logging ones like that. How about uh, authentication? Do you find that that travels across platforms well? In terms of loose coupling, or yep. I mean, the the, the CloudScribe core is a set of components. There's some there's some bits that are interchangeable or not necess- You know, in other words, it's sh- like it supports different data platforms. So you know, you only need one of those, and there's three different ones or four available. Mm. Um, but some of the components are kind of a set and, and they're essential. So there's like a and and this is one of the cool things with .NET is, Core is every project in your solution kind of corresponds to a NuGet package. Nice. Right. In, in fact, in the early days, it was actually kind of cooler in the early days because when you built the solution, it generated a NuGet. And, and that was like the build <laughs> output. And, yeah. uh, and it was, you know, there wasn't like a bin folder where all your DLLs were like naked in there. It was just nuggets. And it seemed like it referenced them directly. I, I'm not entirely sure it did, but it seemed that way. But now you still now you use .NET Pack to create your your NuGets and um, it still kind of corresponds to every project in the solution. So most of the identity stuff is in one NuGet, and then there's the the web CloudScribe core.web depends on that, and it builds has the uh, user interface for managing the users and whatnot. Um, so it's mainly based on the actual ASP.NET identity interfaces and just implemented the parts I needed to make it multi-tenant. So like the user store and the role store are like tenant aware. And whenever you look up a user or a role or whatever, it's passing into like the site ID as part of the query. And um, so that's how how that works. Right. And I used uh, another project called SASKit, which uh, was a, a big piece of the multi-tenancy it allows you to branch your middleware per tenant. And um, so you can, you know, for host name tenants, it's, it's pretty easy anyway, because browsers have different cookies per host name, mm-hmm. but I actually have, have it where you can create a tenant with a first folder segment. So that I have multiple options. You can do host name based, or you can do the folder segment. And that one was a little bit trickier. And the middleware branching was essential for that. So that I could have different cookie names and authentication schemes, and then that way, if you're logged into one tenant, you're not automatically in the other tenant too. Right. You know, it's, it right. keeps it separate. Yeah, th- was that a lot of work, or did it just seem like a natural flow of, of uh, logic to you? Well, the SAS kit thing made it easy because, like in your startup, you can just go app dot use per tenant, and you can uh, pass in. You know, there's like a resolver you create to to identify the tenant on the request. So that made it easy to set those different cookie properties. There were some things though that weren't really solved by that. Like in the identity system, the ASP.NET identity system, the identity options get you know kind of injected as a singleton into the middleware, and then that's that's it. So you mm-hmm. you have to make those match up to the the authentication cookie names and everything have to be the same as what identity expects them to be. Uh, so I had to do some extra magic to make that work. Um, you know, the, there's like the I options of T and you can inject it options and get the value of it. So we did something with that, that made it work. could still resolve tenant specific identity options by, by that mechanism, just kind of inside the getter for, for that thing. So is it is it safe to say that if we wanted to build a, a website with multi tenancy, um, maybe it's not a blog, maybe it's not a, uh, you, you know, maybe it's something completely different. Humanitarian toolbox, right? A great example. My already project, 
we're we're running we're headed right for this. Right? I'm making notes right yeah. right now. We're headed right at this because you're going to have different branches of the Red Cross going to have different organizations, right. uh, and we could literally light up an instance per customer. But that's not what SaaS is about, right? Sure. Uh, just because we're a charity doesn't mean we shouldn't be efficient. So the idea of having a set of tooling that would allow me to deal with those tenancy problems, I'm thrilled. Right. Does that have a ripple effect, though, down to all of your APIs? Because it seems like, you know, you, you were just saying now you have to pass in, you know, a master ID for every, you know, API. Is that a reality or are there ways to get around that? Well, we we provide something to make it easy for you to get that tenant ID. But yeah, if you want to have data specific to tenants, you have to have something to tag that data. Right. So, so you are carrying a tenant ID around, but that's the but price. that's fine. You, yeah. you, you, you just, can, but if you're not, if you don't need the multi tenancy features, you can just ignore that, and it's just a, you know, uh, if you're only using a single tenant, you don't have to worry about that at all. It's yeah. only if you're trying to make sure your your feature that you're building on top of it is going to be tenant aware, then you you would need something to tag your data, and we make it easy for you to inject something that gives you that tenant ID. So. Right, and that's, right. those are just the realities of modern software development, you know? You, you yeah, just, but yeah, if that's the only thing you have to do, interface. that's pretty That's pretty, pretty easy. small yeah. uh, kind of thing. It's not like a hoops you have to jump Absolutely. through. Absolutely. Well, I grabbed that and fired it over to the Slack channel on Humanitarian Toolbox because we've been talking about exactly this issue and the fact that it's built with ASP.NET Core. And it's like, okay, yeah. people are solving problems for us. Right. So to get back to my question, if you're a Humanitarian Toolbox and you're not using all of these other features of CloudScribe, is that something that uh, can be used as a, as a component or as a piece? Is this something that you can wedge in? Yeah, I mean, you can... Even if you don't need multi-tenancy, you can just use it as your authentication system by pulling in the nuggets and wiring up some stuff in startup. Um, you know, it'll provide the login page and the register page, and you can configure whether people whether to allow new registration. You can configure social authentication uh, to let people register on your site, um, and it, you know, it, uh, if you don't need the multi-tenancy, you just ignore it and don't don't use it but then if you ever decided later oh gee i'd like to you know fire up another site you at least you've got the option to do it so this would be cloudscribe uh, core you're talking about right right which right. is uh described here as a multi-tenant foundation for managing users roles claims authentication and authorization with support for social authorization it has optional integration with identity server 4 to support authentication of remote or local apis that sounds pretty freaking awesome yeah no kidding um, so let's maybe go over a couple more of these features. But uh, first, hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? Must be that happy time again. Yeah. It's time to ask Joe a simple question about NoDB. Is that also not a mollusk? <laughs> Ooh, Mark Rendell callbacks. Uh, uh, sorry. He probably, Joe is laughing, but I don't think he knows why. <laughs> We uh, it right over my head is why I'm laughing. No however, it does have that British surrealism that yeah. uh, only Mark Rendell could come up with. He has a tool called SimpleDB. And I asked him, what is SimpleDB? And he says, well, it's not an ORM. And I said, well, what else isn't it? And he <laughs> said, uh, it's not a mollusk. Oh, yeah. I think I do remember that now. <laughs> so I went and registered notamollusk.com and had That's it sent right. to SimpleDB. I remember DB. you talking about that on the show. Right. All right. Well, anyway, <laughs> it's actually time to give away a Component One studio to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, let me tell you about Grape City Active Reports. This is the reporting platform for all your business needs. Design, publish, view, print, and export operational reports, such as invoices, expense reports, tax, and government forms, as well as strategic and analytical reports, such as sales performance, budgeting, and revenue analysis. Active Reports gives you the operation and flexibility you need to turn your data into informative, pixel-perfect reports across the enterprise. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Ken Burke. Congratulations, Ken. Double yeah. clappers for you, Seth. Yeah. Three rounds of applause <laughs> there for you. There you go. And Ken just won the Component One studio. Hey, that's a big pile of awesome from our friends at Component One, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But... 
you have to sign up to win. And Joe, it's your turn. You know what's coming. If you had $5,000 today to spend on technology, what do you think you would buy? I think my laptop is getting a little long in the tooth. Uh-oh. It's like a, a 2011 MacBook Pro 17-inch, and uh, I probably would I'd probably buy a new a new laptop and I'd probably I wish they still had 17 inch ones which they don't but I'd probably buy a MacBook Pro without that touch bar business yeah. but, yeah. but it's not actually a good out. time to get a Mac is it it's kind of yeah. they're kind of between good machines yeah, right now I don't like that touch bar idea I mean my the main reason I would want a Mac is because I want to be able to dual boot to Mac I use which I currently do and I use the Windows side for development although you know nowadays you could use Visual Studio on the Mac and Visual Studio Code Sure I I use the Mac side for music production nice. and I use yeah. the Windows side for everything else that's uh, funny. I use the Windows side for music production. What do you, <laughs> use like uh, Sonar or what do you use? No, I like uh, Presonus uh, Studio One, but um, it's not just that. I just like getting around in Windows better than getting around in Mac OS. And it's just because it's what I'm used to. You know, people who've been yeah. using Mac OS forever will say the opposite. That's fine. Yeah, it's right, what you know, right? right? That's what, what matters. Know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still more familiar and more comfortable on the Windows side, but I, I like to use Logic on the Mac side. It's pretty nice. So I'm just wondering when Macs are finally going to have a touchscreen. Like I don't think they have any incentive to do that because they want people to buy their touch products. You know, yeah. I, that's I think Microsoft is really getting ahead of them there because they're unifying the whole thing with the yeah. touch devices and their operating system and yeah. and. Apple's got like two different operating systems and they're not the same. So yeah. well, you never know. You never know. Yeah. We'll see what happens this year. Let's jump back into the components and features. Uh, we talked yeah. about CloudScribe Core, which is the sort of the, you know, the authentication, multi-tenants, uh, users and roles and all that stuff. And, that, and that's a piece that excites me because you, every time you want to implement something like identity server, you need some place to create. Where do I identify users? How do, do I map to them accounts and so forth? So I'm just glad somebody's doing it for me. I don't want to write that code. Yeah, identity server is great, but you still have to write all the the forms and the, you know, log in and did you forget your password and all that other yeah, stuff. the administration. Exactly, exactly. And even, you know, ASP.NET identity doesn't have that pre-built for you either. So right. I've, got, I've got that all built for you. So come and get it, come and use it, give me feedback. <laughs> all right. And uh, let's talk about CloudScribe Simple Auth. Okay, so that is, uh, I should I should tell you the, the origin of some of these things. Really, when I started working on CloudScribe Simple Content, um, I was really basing that on Mads Christensen's mini blog. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, some of the key points to, out of that was that it had very simple authentication. It wasn't like a complicated system. It was like you put some stuff in a config file, that's your user, and you can log in, you know, and... Uh, and so I wanted to build something simple like that so that you could use simple content without CloudScribe Core necessarily. If you're just wanting to put up a blog site and nobody needs to log in but you, you know, less attack surface, less code in general, and just use that. And even NoDB is sort of came from that, the idea came from it too. I mean, not using a database has been around for a long time. I mean, blo- uh, blog engine and all these other things that used XML and, uh, even the mini blog project used the same XML format as blog engine. And so I was kind of attracted to that because I figured, well, you know, if I build this thing and people want to migrate to it and they're already in, you know, blog engine or mini blog, they can just take their posts and drop them in. Um, so those, those were the ideas for it. And, and simple auth is just something, uh, it does use one piece of the uh, identity and it uses the password hasher so that you can, uh, there's a, your password actually the username and the password goes in your config file but you can hash it ahead of time with the utility page that i created so that it's you know it's in hashed it's not there in clear text in your config file and um you know if all you need is a few people to log in and you don't need people to register on your site then that's a very simple thing to use with a very small footprint and very little attack surface and you know you want to keep your config file secure but that's something you need to do anyway and uh and even if they get that if the passwords are hashed then they're not going to be able to get in so now all these things sound really cool but uh, let's just be clear these are .net core only 
Do you have uh, MVC versions of them for the the full .NET framework, or does it matter? Well, it can. You know, .NET Core can run on the full framework. So, you know, if you want to run it on the full framework, you can. But yeah, this is all .NET Core compatible code. Got it. So you, yeah. Okay. Um, so we, so you kind of talked about simple content and simple auth there at the same time. Yeah, let's talk more about um, simple content. Uh, you know, in Mads Christensen's thing, it, the the uh, main way to edit was Windows Live Writer, and, uh, and so I, you know, following taking a page from that book, I implemented it with Open Live Writer. I guess it would still work with Windows Live Writer too. It's the same APIs and what and whatnot. And just to be clear, Live Writer is a is a client app that allows you to sort of write blog posts without the clunky web based text, you know, WYSIWYG editors that we have, which you know, as as good as they are, are still kind of a pain. Yeah, the only downside is it's a Windows only app. Maybe someday that'll be cross platform too. But it's a nice thing for a desktop app to blog with. Um, so. It also has a web-based uh, editor. Currently, it's got a Bootstrap WYSIWYG editor, which is also what Mads used. But um, I'm working right now I'm to integrate CK Editor, and I'm going to have a nice file uh, browser and media management thing for the local file system for uploading images, resizing, and cropping. Um, I think with uh, Miniblog, you know, his intention was mainly that people would use Windows Live Writer. So that was sort of not an advanced web editing interface. And uh, now that I've used simple content on a few projects, I've realized, uh, you know, when you got a big page, the toolbar is up at the top, it scrolls out of view. And, you know, it's like, you really need something better. And CK Editor is a lot better for, for that kind of thing. Plus, it supports plugins for, you know, everything you ever want there's a zillions of plugins out there for it wow. like to paste to paste in from youtube and have it automatically just set everything up for you and that kind of thing so that's going to be the next new feature coming in simple content is just better editing experience and better media management i kind of waited for a while because that was another thing in the early dotnet core days there was nothing for resizing images and that's oh. only recent only recently they came out with that uh core compat dot uh, system dot drawing that right. provide that Bertrand Leroy wrote a good blog post about all the current options for that now. And there also wasn't uh, system dot net dot mail. I'm not sure if that's available now or it's coming soon in 2.0 net standard, but I'm using uh mail kit and mime kit projects. I don't know okay. if you've heard of those by a guy named Jeffrey steadfast, really excellent libraries, actually probably better than the, uh, you know, built-in ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. And is that simple contact form? Is that does that use it? Yeah, um, actually, though. But some of that stuff that's reusable, like the uh, e- email little helper for email, is in a library called uh, Cloudscribe dot web dot common. Because I use it, I use it in in uh, Cloudscribe core uh, for like messages for. Uh, registering and confirming your email right. and you know all that kind of stuff mm. i use it in simple content like for notifications if someone comments and and things like that and then i also use it in uh in simple contact form so okay. there's that's kind of a small library with just little little helpers in it uh that are useful in a lot of scenarios so it just yeah, yeah. But you said it's common stuff so you only want one copy of it yeah oh wait actually i'm i'm thinking wrong actually i have a i have it completely separated a cloudscribe.messaging.email that's so it has nothing else but but the email that's right i'm i was confused for a minute but i do have that other library and it has other stuff in it that that's commonly used not cloudscribe.entropy because i love the fact that you have a cloudscribe.entropy you know i I think (laughs) i just created that as a place to explore and i stole the name because there's a entropy repo in the asp.net repos and that's where they've Mm. got all kinds of experimental stuff so i I just took their lead on that i love it yeah it's awesome (laughs) how about uh cloudscribe file manager you say that's That's an up and coming thing yeah, right now the work on that is in my uh, repository for simple content because I'm I'm building it for simple content is my main goal, but it's going to be completely you know able to use it elsewhere without any dependencies on other CloudScribe components, 
And uh, basically, I'll have like kind of a companion library that integrates it with uh, CloudScribe Core and CloudScribe Simple Content. Um, like for and and you know ultimately I'd like to build it to where it could work with um, Azure Blob Storage and S3 and sure. these kind of things. But for now, the, the first iteration I'm I'm really just focusing on the local file system. And so you know if you're using it standalone, the default configuration would be you know the www root folder is where it would start. But for CloudScribe core in the multi-tenant scenario i'm kind of separating media files below that per tenant so i've got like a, a little subfolder per tenant and i've got something to make sure that the starting point is always there if, if, if you're logged into that tenant nice. uh, so i'm really interested in this now just the big picture to go back here it's really about file and image browsing and uploading resizing and cropping etc right yeah. So yeah. you're so this is a combination, obviously, of JavaScript and uh, HTML and then backend stuff. When you're right. uploading images and files, do you, you have uh, the ability to handle large files and do it in chunks and segments with progress bars and all that good stuff? Yeah, the uh, I'm using the uh, BlueImp jQuery file uploader. Um, I think that there's some issues I'm not sure about yet with that because I'm trying to pass extra form data along with the files like uh, especially if i want to resize it when it gets there yeah. uh, pass passing some stuff and with the streaming uh, the, at least with this particular plugin it looked like um, you can't do that as like a multi-part form hmm. uh, so i may have to make like a separate thing when you for for just four very large files to yeah. do that yeah uh, but that's probably not going to be an issue typically with images although I, I guess they are getting bigger these days with all the megapixels and whatnot yeah well, and, and the problem of people not understanding image sizes and yeah and yeah stuff upload a full not, size image and just use that and change the size in the markup right it's not know? going away i mean people aren't yeah. getting smarter about that well and this is whole other discussion i don't know if we've ever really done this on the show about these you know ultra high resolution monitors where you really want a yeah. high res picture you want at least 200 dpi and yeah ex exactly yeah but you, you know, i mean you can, yeah, right. Well, the way I'm doing it with, uh, like, I'm sort of trying to lead them down the path of success to where it's, by default, it's going to be checked and it's going to have some, you know, resize it to like 550 pixel width. Just no dumb, right? Like, it's just <laughs> less dumb, please. <laughs> The option, the option it, by default, it would actually keep the original and it would make the resized one link to the original right. so that you could still see the full size you image. Could, if you wanted to get it. But um, there will be an option to say, you know, not to keep the originals in case, you know, if you got not a lot of file storage in right. your web hosting or whatever and you don't want to accumulate all these huge images. Uh, so it'll be configurable for that kind of thing. See, I think the browsers should take this on because that is the point where people, you know, using the browser, that's the point where people decide, I want this image to go to this server, right? right? The browser knows that. And the browser should be smart enough to say, hey, guess what? This JPEG file is four megabytes. Are you sure? Do you want me to resize this for you so it's manageable, uh, you know? Because otherwise, every site re has to fix that problem. Yeah, and, and every user yeah. gets a postage stamp thing that comes, draws, you know, like a you know, one pixel yeah. per yeah. second. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it still amazes me when I visit sites like that, and you can just see the images loading, and you can I tell know. that they're it's like, oh. big. Old. <laughs> it, it, you know that is that's an amateur move, right? That is there. the web equivalent of fingernails on a chalkboard. That's what that is. Yeah. Right? It literally makes the back of your neck crawl. But, you know, fingernails on a chalkboard is at least deliberate, <laughs> you know? That's just yeah. like a oversight. That's kind of like burning pine nuts, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like you don't have any experience with this, do you? No. You no. looked away from the pine nuts, didn't you? Yeah. Too easy to do. That's a con move right there. <laughs> <laughs> right there. Uh, okay, yeah. so file manager, um, that's very cool, and I'm definitely, I'm definitely into using a lot of these things. Um, what about navigation, CloudScribe navigation? Let's talk about that. Okay, so the way that works is uh, sort of like what we used to have with the old MVC sitemap provider where you've got an XML file or a JSON file, it's configurable, to kind of be the, the root part of your navigation. So like for CloudScribe core, 
um, you know, the administrative pages are just declaratively listed in there in the XML file and what roles are allowed to see the, you know, the menu node for each thing. So you're, unless you're logged in as administrator, you're not going to see the administrated menu. Yeah. Um, of course that's not, you know, it's, you don't want to think that that's securing your page. That's just filtering the menu. Sure. <laughs> you still have yeah, to yeah. Secure the page. And, and we do that too. Um, so, but then, you know, you need something for a CMS, like simple content. I, I, I don't know. I'm reluctant to call it a CMS. Really. It's, that's too big of a word. Um, but it's dynamic pages that you create and they get into storage. So, you know, the menu is not, you're not going to go edit an XML file and add a page to your menu. So basically the way I built it was, um, where there can be multiple tree builders. And in that XML file, a particular node can be marked with a, a tree builder that will be invoked, uh, at runtime. So, um, you know, I plug in the one that I built for simple content and, uh, I just, you know, declaratively add that into the XML. And then it, when it builds the tree, it says, Oh, here's another tree builder on this node. And it goes and builds a subtree and puts it on that node. Mm. Um, and then, you know, when you're doing that dynamically, then in that, that dynamic builder has to also make all the attributes, you know, who, what roles can view this thing, what, what not like that. Yeah. Um, Okay. But so it's and and then you know along with that so it's basically a view component that gives you your models for the for the navigation and then it's just different views for breadcrumbs or a extended menu or top cool. nav mm-hmm. or, or various kind of things and this is all MVC stuff but uh, if I wanted to do some more um, interesting UI I could use something like React JS couldn't I Yeah I mean. That's an interesting discussion to have is, you know, the whole MVC versus spa thing. And, right. and uh, you know, it, I think when people build spas, they pick a framework and then they build the whole UI with that. And so whether you're a React guy or an Angular guy or whatever. And, you know, I've heard um, like Sean Wildermuth talk about he just wants little islands of functionality. In a, you know, if you're starting with an MVC page i'm not sure that you would use angular or react right in your page i mean you technically could but that would sort of not be a spa that would be sort of an island within your page that would have this like sort of applet or so i don't know you know the the trend is seems to be going towards uh spa style apps um definitely maybe i'm a minority view on this but i sort of like content to not require JavaScript to be visible. Right. Um, mm. Like when I search the web, I use the, I use different browsers for different purposes and I use Firefox with a tool called U matrix. I used to use one called no script, but U matrix is a much nicer one. So that if I visit, if I Google search on something or Bing search and I'm just going to random sites, I land there with JavaScript disabled. Yeah. And if I can't see the content, I'm like, Oh, this is lame. You know? right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and especially if you're, you know, a, a product catalog or something, if I'm ser- searching for something I might buy and I can't even, and read your product description and your price without trusting your site with JavaScript, then I'm probably going to move on and o- or only go to the you know the big name sites that I already trust, like Amazon or right, cause whatnot. What you just said essentially is that if JavaScript is required for me to see anything, then how's Google ever going to find your content, find your website based on your content? Google will crawl your website with JavaScript, so sure. they'll 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 see it no problem. In fact, they'll provide me the link to get to your site, right. but then I, I have to trust your site. And you know, if if I can't see anything that gives me a basis to trust your site, I might not. You yeah, know? you'll just move on. Yeah. yeah, and I do that all the time as well. I don't I don't see what I wanted to see. I move on. Yeah. Are we a minority because we're like technical and we understand to protect ourselves? I mean, everyone sort of... I don't know. I think people are impatient. You know these sites where all the ads render fast and first. And then sometime later, some part of the content shows up. And that's when I say, yeah, Yeah. I'll find it somewhere else. Here, have a a bounce from me. Right. (laughs) But in contrast, so if I if I land on a site and I can see, oh, this is what I'm looking for, or maybe this is they've got a product and I can see the price. Yep. If I'm gonna buy it, then I'll enable JavaScript and I'll go and proceed and check out, you know. But it it if I had not even seen the content, yeah. I probably never would. Yeah. So so yeah. there's a you know, I don't know 
when people decide whether are we going to build this as an MVC or a spa app, whether they even think of these kind of things. I, I do, but I'm just sure. not sure that that's mainstream. Well, we're definitely thinking having conversations about part. what makes sense as a spa and what doesn't. Right. right. And there's lots of, I think there, spa is interesting because it's not a question of should that be a regular web page, should that be a spa? It's should that be a traditional desktop client mm. or should that be a spa yeah. mm. and that to me is kind of a big deal because they you know no deployment headaches uh auto updates like there's a lot of advantages for spa from traditional desktop mm-hmm. client if you get the feature set that you want right but well and the, the other pages. advantage the other uh, that i see advantage of spa style i guess is that it lends itself to mobile apps because you can take a spa site and you can you know apache cordova and even sure. make it an app store app um so you're you're like almost there to it building an app yeah. if you start as a spa app. So there's You're more there, there anyway. There's a lot of advantages to, to that kind of thing. Um, and of course, even with MVC, you know, we use JavaScript for a lot of advanced features. Yeah. So you, you know, if you're going to trust the site, you're going to have to enable it at some point to get the functionality. But I just, I don't know. There's do too many it's, sites it's that are be, just em- empty. I see these empty pages. <laughs> yeah. And isn't that really just a failure of testing? You should test a, every page with JavaScript off just so you know what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. I think you should at least be able to log in, you know, you should right. be able to submit a form and log in and set a cookie without JavaScript if, if you own the site. I mean, if nothing else, just being able to say, hey, if you don't turn JavaScript on, nothing good's going to happen here. Not blank. Blank's not acceptable. You know, imagine a scenario, you know, like the WordPress sites are always vulnerabilities and people get hacked. And what if you're, what if you own the site and your site is hacked and now you, you're afraid to visit your own site, yes. or, you know, this malware is going to yeah. come into your browser. So you want to be able to turn off JavaScript, visit your site, and you still want to be able to log in and maybe clean up the content. I guess you could, you know, do it by FTP or some other ways of getting in there to try to clean things up. But you at least want to be able to get back in and look around and see what the damage is right, without right. JavaScript. I don't know? know how many people turn off JavaScript because it's not that easy I to do. No, you know, it's not like it's a button on the toolbar. You really well, got to work. It is at it. if you have a browser plugin like UMatrix, right? Uh, right. Which okay. by default it only lets in like CSS and images uh, from the origin domain of that site, and then you can you can like. Uh, click little boxes it'll show you what stuff it's wanting to load and you right. can approve it case by case and it helps with privacy too because you can block the third party tracking cookies sure. and various okay. stuff and still allow the script from the site to, to well, we'll, come through we'll put a link to that i want to get through some of this stuff you have a few more reusable components sort of the miscellaneous ones and um, we can probably just link to those but i really want you to talk about this case study that uh, that you mentioned in your notes. Yeah. Um, so the the uh, project I did for a, a company in the UK called Exegesis, and they're uh, kind of data spatial mapping specialty type of outfit. Is that called? I, is that pronounced Exegesis? I don't. <laughs> I've heard it pronounced Exegesis. That word. Their 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 domain is ESDM. Uh, so I, I think of them as that, and I'm sure that's exegesis spatial management acronym or whatever. Um, but they do a lot of government work and, um, they used to use Mojo portal a lot and that's Mm -hmm. how I know I've known them for years. Uh, they've done a lot of projects on Mojo portal and they actually originally had, uh, asked me if I would be interested in helping them with this project using Mojo portal. And I was like, no, I turned it down, you know? And then a, a little while later, they, he came back and he said, well, what if we did it with CloudScribe? Would that make any difference? And I was like, yeah, that'd make all the difference. Yeah. Um, so basically it's a small project. It was a uh, historic place names in Wales and, um, it's historicplacenames.rcahmw.gov.uk. That's the English version of it. And then there's a link in the top corner. There's also a, a separate domain for Welsh. So the very important aspect of this was that it had to be localized. You know, it's a multi-tenant thing with two sites that are identical, except one's in English and one's in Welsh. Right. And they wanted, you know, had pretty high standards about that. Like even the Earl segments, they didn't want like English fragments and the Earls if there was a reasonable corresponding Welsh fragment that could be used. So we did all that and uh, there's like a language switcher in the top corner of the site. No matter what page you're on, you go to the same corresponding page in the other site. Um, 
which is tricky for some things like the blog, mm. uh, sort of re- relies on some rules that if they make a post on the English side, they have to make the uh, a corresponding post the same day on the other side. And if they do more than one a day, they have to do them in the same sequence on both sides. Wow. And that way we can easily go find it because it's a completely different world. It's a completely different domain. Sure. <laughs> there's, no, yeah. there's really no, nothing to map them other than, okay, this post is from this date and it's in this sequence. So it, this is the one that matches. Okay. And that's how we did, we did that for, for other things. We just kind of created a little map to, to map some URLs back and forth, just known by the URL itself. But mm. for blogs, it was a little trickier. Okay. And so, you know, the main gist of the project was just this searchable database of historic place names that will bring back data and uh, maps. And um, to to focus on that, uh, it was a real big advantage using the CloudScribe components because they had other requirements. They wanted editable pages. They wanted a blog. They wanted a contact form. Mm. Um, But, you know... The, that wasn't the main gist of the project and it wasn't a big budget. And right. uh, so the advantage was I basically have all this stuff kind of built. It, you know, just requires wiring it up, configuring it the way right. they want it. Right. Um, and then, you know, the customization of things, again, when you've got interfaces that you can inject, if you don't like the way the default one works, then we write a custom one and plug it in. And, and it really made it easy to, to meet their goals um, to do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, it made it where, most of the actual effort after things were set up was the actual feature they wanted. So, okay. you know, we could fo- focus on that and not spending a lot of time. Oh, how are we going to do security? How are we going to do navigation? How are we going to do content? You know, all these things are like, Oh, I got that sorted out already. So let's just focus on the main feature. And, um, and you said that you used, um, uh, uh, one of the cloud scribe components, web localization to you to do this, right? Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's something that I, I built kind of just because I, I wasn't completely happy with the way, you know, it's a good, it's an improved system. The localization, I think, in, in ASP.NET Core has improved over previous stuff. But, you know, it, when you build websites for people, a lot of times it's not just localization. Sometimes they want to customize labels, too. Sure, you know, yeah. they want to be able to change it. So one of the issues I ran into because I'm trying to build these components that you just distribute with NuGet packages. So I've got, uh, you know, controllers and a NuGet package and the way the localization system works is great for the main web app itself. You can just, uh, create a, the built in ASP.net, like localization. You can just tell it, here's the folder to point to and the ResX files will go in there and pretty much anything in that main web app, you can drop a file in and, and, localize it mm. we're using the i string localizer nice okay. the problem was that when it's in a class library it didn't work you know so i had to look at that how it, the actual code and, and basically i forked the microsoft implementation and said okay if you don't find the resource here look look in this other place too <laughs> where it's um so that you know when it's a class library it can go ahead and look in the main web apps uh folder and say, oh, if there's a resource file there, then just go ahead and use that. Right. Um, and so that made it possible, you know, I can just drop in a file uh, with English and let them translate it uh, to Welsh. And, um, you Wait, know, you do have to recompile. You re-compile. don't speak Welsh? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't. But it's a very interesting language to look at. I yeah, I, they that. definitely need to buy a vowel. That's for sure. Yeah. 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 Or maybe give a couple back. There are some interesting place names that I just, you know, stumbled over when i was right. working on it there's <laughs> yeah yeah it's vomit, an interesting vomit point was one you know, oh, like, nice, you know nice. <laughs> i get to the top of the hill and then i throw up <laughs> that's right well, well joe that's we're right. out of time is there anything else that you want to bring up or mention just before we wrap it up um i just hope that people will try this stuff out and, and give me feedback and um you know i'm hoping it saves other people time on their projects too and that uh you can take advantage of this stuff. I'd like to see it become more popular. and uh, Well, you know, certainly in our consideration to, for already, for humanitarian Trying toolbox. to share, you know, share the love. For right. sure. I have a few uh, ideas for it as well. Joe, Audette, thank you very much for joining us. It's been a great hey, uh, pleasure talking to you. My pleasure. Thank you guys so much for having me on. You bet. All right, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. 
Net Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a...